Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Smells Like Business, where you can learn more about the current and future state of cannabis, CBD and hemp in Europe. We talk to different cannabis experts and entrepreneurs, making it easier for you to enter and better understand the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Tom, and today we have Boss Nirop on the show. So Boss has his own chocolate company called Buckets Chocolate. And within that, they have a chocolate brand called OGs. So what's great about OGs is that the chocolate is created to look just like cannabis. And I tell you what, it really does look just like cannabis. The packaging and the names of the different chocolates are also cannabis themed and are branded towards cannabis users, but not exclusively. As Bas later explains, having chocolate that looks like cannabis is a good way of breaking the ice and getting the cannabis conversation going with people who might not usually be so inclined. Bas is from the Netherlands originally, but is now based in Spain. He worked at a coffee shop for two years before opening a social cannabis club in Spain with a few partners. Unfortunately, the social cannabis club was not allowed to remain open and he was forced to close it down. We discuss Boss's colourful cannabis past, as well as where, how, and why he started OG's Chocolate, how he has managed to scale up the company, and what the future holds. But let's hear more from the Dutchman himself. Hello, Boss. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am very fine. Thank you, Tom. Good. Glad to hear. Great. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you were doing before you started OGs. Because as far as I understand, you've been in the cannabis world for a little while. Yeah, yeah, more or less. In fact, after my uh, military service in Holland, I worked for 12 years in a logistic company where I did the planning for all the drivers and things like that. After that, I worked for Cargill in the cacao powder part of it. But they moved from the north of Amsterdam to the south of Amsterdam. So I spoke with my friend who owns two coffee shops. And uh, he said, well, maybe you better work for me. I did that for two years. And then we went to Spain. We wanted to, to look for the nice weather. After two years in the coffee shop, we started over here a cannabis social club in Figueres near the French border. And the French didn't like it too much. So we were closed very fast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was really a pity. It was a beautiful club, very big, with a lot of people coming over. But uh, yeah, we were closed down after eight months. Quick question. You say we. Was this with the coffee shop owner? No. Although I really liked my job, it was well-paid, good colleagues and everything. But uh, my wife and I, the south of Europe always triggered us. I met some people from over here and they asked me, why don't you come over here? We start a cannabis social club. So that's when it all began. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like quite the adventure. I mean, Amsterdam is an amazing city. I lived there for a couple of years myself. I worked in a coffee shop for a little while as well. Which shop? Barney's. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the big boys or whatever. Yeah. But for all the great things Amsterdam is, the weather is not one of them. It does rain a lot there. So I can understand the Spanish climate was very appealing. <laughs> yeah, it was appealing. That's it, yeah. So why do some social cannabis clubs get shut down, but not others? And why did yours get shut down? Because we had some very good lawyers from Barcelona. We thought they were very good lawyers. 
they told us to ask the permission for a social club with the permission to grow as well. And uh, this was not approved. And then our lawyer said, oh, well, we do another one. You can stay open, but without the grow license. <laughs> then they came in very fast and it was over. The game was over. Okay, I see. In the beginning, they gave licenses with the grow license. I think this is the best because you can follow and see what kind of product you are making. And you know there are no contaminations or strange things in your product. If you have to buy it or have to get it elsewhere, you are not 100% sure of the quality. I guess, yeah, if you're able to have the grow license as well, you have control literally from seed to shelf, basically. Yeah, and the first licenses were built up like this. And then when they gave out like 50 or 100, I don't know the number, but then they didn't put this specific point in the, in the license. They put an okay for opening a club, but not for the growing part. And that's a bit of a, a bit of a game changer then. Yeah. So, I mean, you've definitely got your hands on a few different cannabis pies. <laughs> yes. I guess running a coffee shop is quite a different experience to running a social cannabis club. Yeah, for sure. Social cannabis clubs are non-profit, if I'm correct. Yes. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And a coffee shop is. <laughs> definitely. Social clubs, you can give yourself a salary. Yeah, you can exaggerate, but you can also do it normal. And we were just on our way and we had a very normal wage of 1,500 euros a month. We wanted the club to be the best club in Spain, but yeah. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. You were given a different path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think that's a good transition. So yes, let's talk a little bit about your latest venture that you've been on for a little while, OGs. Uh When did you decide to start OGs and why? Yeah, of course. Well, I knew the founder of the original concept. It's a French guy. The product was called OG Crunch at the time. This French guy, he worked in a skate shop. It was during his internship. Internship, yeah. And the owner of this skate shop where he did his uh, internship told him to boost the sales. And he thought about this candy with a friend, a chocolatier. He developed this bonbon and he sent it with the clothes they were selling from the skate shop. And the people start calling the skate shop for chocolate. (laughs) And then he started producing this chocolate, not only for the skate shop, but also other shops were asking. And then, yeah, it became bigger and bigger. He created a social media vibe on Facebook organized events the local big bakery gave him the laboratory to work on the chocolate because they don't work on daytime so it was more kind of a friend project where they couldn't make the next step to professionalize scale up but it sounds like a great idea and it sounds like it grew organically and locally as well It's amazing it started out of a skate shop. That's quite surprising. Yeah. And when he saw he couldn't scale up, he contacted me and he asked me if I knew somebody who might be interested in buying the brand to make the next steps. I know somebody who might be interested. So I contacted him and he said, well, why not? Why not take a look at it? And we were invited in Paris at the 420 event, which he organized. And we saw 
yeah, the potential of the product. So from that moment, we gave our handshake and we bought the brand and everything that goes with it. And we searched here in Spain for a location for production. And then the adventure began another time. <laughs> yep, adventure part two in Spain, indeed. And when was that exactly? 2018. In 2018. Okay. So how was it to scale up? I mean, was it easy finding locations and taking these recipes and then actually trying to produce them on a, on a large scale? How was that whole adventure and, and challenge? To give you an idea, he was working with his friends and there were eight people maybe producing between 20 and 30 kilos chocolate a day. And I invented a kind of method where we could produce or where we produce right now around 80 kilos a day with one person. So you do the maths, you very quickly see the difference there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I guess that must have involved some sort of machines or mechanism, right? Yeah. Yeah. I combined some machines. Okay, nice. A little side note, I love your slogan, relax, it's just chocolate. That put a real smile on my face. It's a good one. So I think it's safe to say that OG's is a part of the chocolate industry because you literally make chocolates, but you're also definitely a part of the cannabis industry because the chocolates are completely cannabis themed, look completely like cannabis. They're even uh, packaged, you know, in a sort of cannabis theme. As a company, how do you try and navigate between these two industries? Well, in fact, Bucket's Chocolate is our company name and OG's is a part of it. It's a brand within your Bucket's company. Yeah, yeah. And we develop concepts which are inspired by social topics. And OG's is now the first one. But uh, yeah, probably there will be more to come. Great. So when it comes to then OG's, what kind of businesses are interested in having your products? We have like CBD shops, seed banks, but also candy businesses. So online candy shops. In uh, Germany, we have two very big clients who sell online and it goes very, very fast. It's a very cool theme. I can imagine anyone that's into cannabis and they see that would be very interested. That's actually a question. How do you make it look so realistic? Because when I was looking at it online, I mean, I had to look at it a few times to see if it really was not cannabis. That must be quite a challenging process in itself. How do you actually go about doing that? In fact, it is quite simple because it's only a mix of white chocolate, puffed rice and matcha tea. But you have to find the right products to give the right color, the right texture. And of course, first quality, sustainable white chocolate. Yes, I like it that you're certified and you're looking for sustainable chocolates as well, because that is a bit of a problem in the chocolate industry, isn't it? Yeah, you have Tony Chocolonely who really works on this topic. I don't know if you know this brand. Oh, yes, they've got great branding. They are very good chocolate, of course. Yeah, yeah. we work with Callabout and Callabout works with Tony Chocolonely. Okay, got you. So I know you bought the business in 2018, and now it's 2021. And of course, we've had Corona slap bang in the middle. What's been your journey up until now? How has the company grown? Well, the first, let's say, eight or 10 months, we searched here for the perfect location and how to implement over here. So we, we continued a little bit in France from the French guy. 
And then at the end of 2018, in December, I guess it was, we signed the final contract. And then in January 2019, we moved everything over here, the stuff he had, and we combined it with the machines we bought. There are some chocolate factories over here from the past because, funny enough, chocolate in Europe came first through Spain. And here in the Pyrenees, there are still some... Yeah, how do you say that? Some remnants of that. Yes, exactly, exactly. My wife, for instance, she works as well for a big chocolate company here in the area. Okay, so there's chocolate running through your blood, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As well as cannabis, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was talking with a company over here, and I asked, can you help me for my production? And he said, Well, you know, your product has peanuts, and in our factory, any nuts is prohibited. I like your product, but better talk to Miguel. So I go to Miguel, and he runs a factory who does, how do you say, caramelize? Oh, yeah, all the caramel and caramelization. Yeah, Yeah, of nuts. And yeah, I went to him, and I asked, maybe I can rent a part of your factory so we can make production over here. And we came to an agreement and uh, we started over there. But after maybe nine months, the space was too small. It went fast. So I found a new location in the same area, more or less. And now I have 700 square meters with a professional lab, with a nice place to stock, to have everything how it should be. Well, yeah, it sounded like you had to scale up again within seven months. It's a problem, but a a good problem to have, I can imagine. I hope this will last. We still are on 10% of what we would like to achieve with our company. But I think all this is possible on the location where we are right now. And to automate the production and packing process, yeah, that was a challenge, of course. And I can scale up easily right now. And next step will be uh, ISO uh, certification. We have more challenges to come. There is a vegan version we are working on because there's huge demand. And of course, the CBD version. But this is very complicated because of the novel food regulations. Yes, the EU novel food regulation, of course. It is very complicated because every country is having their own regulations. Like, for instance, in France, you must use isolate because in France, there is 0% of THC allowed, nothing. But in Holland, you cannot use isolate. So there you use full-spectrum hemp oil, for instance. But then you have some traces of THC, which you cannot use in France. Yeah, with CBD, it does get very tricky and you have to take every single country's sort of uh, rules and regulations into account. Yeah, and we are working with lawyers in every country. We do the check for every country. But yeah, of course, we deliver to a distributor in Holland and he sells all over Europe. So yeah, that's a bit tricky. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you only sell in Europe or do you sell outside Europe as well? Last week, we started in the US as well. Ah, okay, just last week. And before that, was it just Europe? Yeah, and that was because of production. We couldn't follow, but now we have everything in place. Okay, so how did you approach the US market? 
Well, they approached us. It was an entrepreneur, a businessman, and he sees the potential and he is making the first test right now and let's see what comes out. But yeah, I'm more than positive that it will work out. Yeah, no, definitely. It all sounds very promising. So let's talk a bit about your products because you have six different flavors at the moment, right? Yes, exactly. The names are great because you're also using cannabis strain names and mixing them with chocolate names. So you've got the Super Crunch, Peanut Haze, Cocoa Bud, Purple Pot. Yeah, Crispy Pearl. Crispy Pearl, Sunrise Dream. And also, like, for instance, the Purple Pot is a bit purplish in color. And of course, you do get strains that have a bit more of a purple tinge to them. Yeah, so that's really cool. You also worked off that a little bit. And what's the new one you have coming up? Caramello. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, so one question actually, which I find quite interesting is because cannabis still, unfortunately, especially in Europe, has a negative stigma attached to it, has that had a negative impact on your company in any way? The only thing what is negative is that Facebook and Instagram doesn't let you make promotional posts. So advertising can be a bit tricky, basically. Yes, yes. But all the people we have given the chocolate to or who tried our chocolate, everybody likes the chocolate. And, well, who doesn't like chocolate? (laughs) That's the question, right? (laughs) Great. So who is your target audience, would you say? Yeah, it's from Generation Z to the baby boomers. It's really a wide, uh, wide audience and as well cannabis users and non-users. And non-users. That's great. Do you actually sell a lot directly to customers or is most of your business to other businesses? Well, at the moment, it's more to other businesses, like uh, we send to consumers who buy on our website maybe three or four packages a day. But the majority is through other businesses. Yeah, and um, we touched on it a little bit before, because I asked what challenges you had. And the big one is, of course, advertising. And you can't use these mainstream avenues of advertising. So how do you actually go around this problem and how do you actually try and promote your brand and your products? So the algorithm bans us from ads, but we are very creative and we are growing organically. And that is thanks to our product, which is looking good, you know, and of course, thanks to our followers. They make stories on Instagram and on Facebook because everybody likes the joke of the wheat-shaped chocolate. If you have a really good concept or really good theme, it sounds like it can almost sell itself. Yes. We never did any acquisition. Everything we sell is mouth-to-mouth. Crazy, eh? Yeah, very crazy. Of course, that makes it a little bit out of your control, but it's also means that you must be doing something right, that it has success. And of course, it's free, (laughs) free advertising. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But we are planning to do the acquisition because our production now can follow. But it was a choice not to do so until we could follow up with the production. Okay, that makes sense. Nice. Well, I've only got a couple more questions for you. Can you imagine expanding into potentially other edibles or are you sticking to chocolates? No, we are a chocolate company. And yeah, we trained our people to work with uh, the chocolate. I think it's good that you're just focusing on one thing and then trying to do that as good as possible. Yes. So, I mean, how many people do you have working for you now? How big is the company now? We are four, four people. Okay, nice. 
And your wife, is she still working for another chocolate company or is it a family business sort of thing now? The idea is my wife comes to work with us and she is very good in what she does. She is a marketing and communication manager and she worked for very big companies in the parfum industry. She started in Holland for Gucci and those big brands. She knows how we need to do that. And I'm just a simple chocolate farmer. So... <laughs> Hey, but both jobs are important. You know, you need to be able to market the products, but you also need to be able to make them as well, exactly. right? Great. So, Bas, I have one last question that I ask all my guests, and that is, if you could go back in time, is there anything you would do differently? Well, I can be short. No, I wouldn't. I'm very, very happy in what I do and the decisions we made. And uh, I think it's better to regret something you do than if you haven't done. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more there. So where can our listeners find out more about OGs and what you do? Well, of course, on OGs.com and on Instagram and Facebook, it's uh, OGs underscore uh, crunch. Okay, crunch with a K, huh? Yes, crunch with a yeah. K, yeah. Yeah, and OGs is O-G-E-E-Z, two E's. Yes, exactly. Yes. Great. Well, thank you so much, boss, for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you, Tom. So that was Bas Nirop, who I just want to thank again for coming on the show. If you like cannabis and you like chocolate, which is an amazing combination, by the way, then you will definitely like OG's chocolate. Check out their website at OG's.com, O-G-E-E-Z, and also make sure to find them on social media. Also, please do remember to subscribe to this podcast and check out our website at www.smellslikebusiness.com. I've been your host, Tom. Have a green day, everybody. Business.